0: Take your Bible and turn with me to the book of um, Matthew, the book of Matthew, and chapter 18, Matthew chapter 18. There's a few verses here that I want to run by you, because we're always trying to find ways to make the Word of God clear, simple, and uh, simplicity isn't always simple, and uh, because there's always our own thoughts that enter into something. And sometimes we don't explain it as good as we ought to. And sometimes we use stories and illustrations <laughs> uh, that makes it even cloudier. And sometimes just let it speak and say what it does. But of course this is what called call the, the Sermon on the Mount, a part of it, or child text anyway. We know that Jesus is talking a lot about the kingdom of heaven. Uh, when the king comes and sets up his kingdom upon the earth. uh, But there's a statement here in verse 1. At the same time, came the disciples unto Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? First of all, do, do you see anything wrong with the question? What does it tell you? Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Well, each one would probably think, I am, I am, I am. I'm better than you. I ought to have the greatest reward. I ought to be top dog and I, I, I but we know that as you read down through here, and he talks about getting the little children and having the faith of a child and how that uh, God's talking about, you know, if a man has a hundred sheep and one goes astray, he leaves the ninety and nine and goes after that one. Now, I've often wondered, you know, if you've got ninety-nine, you go and look for that other one. Well, what's going to happen to the ninety-nine? It runs off too, <laughs> You got somebody else guarding those? Unless those 99 that he had were safe inside of a gate or secure. But I believe there's more to it. I believe that uh, it shows that um, a good shepherd wants all of his sheep. He wants all of them. And so sometimes we hear the Calvinists, and I was listening to the radio a little bit today, and John MacArthur was on. And he was talking about, we can't fully understand all about the sovereignty of God and the free will of man, and why God would choose to save some and not others, but if God did choose some to go to heaven, He did choose others to go to hell." Anybody said, Betty, He did choose people to go to hell." He said, "Well, why? And the only reason we can give is because it brings glory to God. It brings glory to God. And I thought, if I could get my hands on His neck, I'd like to just squeeze it real nice and gentle. If we are to redeem the time. You know there's a verse in the Bible that says, redeem the time. Be wise, redeeming the time. Well, if you're going to redeem the time, doesn't seem like it's a waste of time for God to let us spend all of our time witnessing to people that he never chose. If he really wants me to redeem my time, then why don't he tell me who they are and I can go straight to them? The ones he chose. Doesn't that make sense? I mean, if God chose, you know, her over there and not the rest of you, then I don't need to worry about y'all. All I to do is go over here and talk to her because that's the one God chose. But I'm supposed to redeem my time. I'm not redeeming the time wasting my time Anyway, that's just a little Yankeeology thrown in there. But I want you to see this: who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child unto him, set him in the midst of them. He says, Verily I send you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now earlier in chapter five he made the statement that unless your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. So we believe that the beginning of the kingdom is going to be made up of believers. And later on, there will be people that will be born. But the faith of a little child, child childlike faith, we becoming like children. And uh, he says, you want to be great? Well, then um, you're going to have to be humble. See there in verse 4? Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this child, the same as greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, I've often wondered just, you know, what does he mean by that? And especially uh, another scripture that talks a little bit about, you know, this greatness idea. But just take your Bible, look in Matthew chapter 11. Matthew and chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, you'll notice there in verse 1, Well, we have a little story here about John the Baptist. Verse 1, And it came to pass, when Jesus had made an end of commanding his twelve disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Now, when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples, and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? There's always a question about why did he ask this question. Is it because he had doubts? Or to confirm that, yes, this is the Lamb that taketh away the sin of the world. This is the one that's supposed to set up the kingdom. Or did John actually believe that, uh, you know, he's going to set up the kingdom? And what am I doing in prison? So did he have questions or doubts? Or did he have doubts about Jesus setting up the kingdom at this time? Or was it, uh, you know, just simply that he wanted those that were with him to be convinced Just because I'm in prison, that doesn't mean that Jesus isn't who He claimed to be, and He's going to do what He claimed to do, so go and talk to Him. But anyway, however you come down on that will not make any difference to me. In verse 4, Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. And you ought to underline this part of it. And the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. Now this whosoever shall not be offended in me is important because in chapter 18 it talks about this being offended an awful lot of times. So to be offended is to, like in a sense, reject the gospel. And so to receive him is to believe the gospel. And that's also worded. In verse 7, And as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitude concerning John, What went ye out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? I mean, is he saying that he did not have questions and doubts and it wasn't for him? And at the same time, when he mentions down there, Go and show John again. Is that to stabilize John? Is that because he was? (laughs) Because of the wind? I wrote a little poem one time about Dr. Curtis Hudson, and the point of the whole thing was, he was flame in the wind, and I referred to these scriptures here. But it says, a read, shaken with the wind, but what went you out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothes and are in king's houses. But what went you out to see? A prophet, yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I sent my messenger before my face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Mentioned in the book of Malachi. He says, Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So in this world, regardless of how great a man may be, a saved man in the kingdom is greater So whether or not you're talking about the first birth, second birth. The greatest man in the flesh is not as good as the least man of the spirit. But anyway, he goes on down through here and he talks about those that are great. Now go back here to Matthew in chapter 18. Matthew 18. When he makes a statement there in uh, verse 3. I say unto you, except you be converted, become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now hold your place right here, but look in Mark chapter nine. Mark, in chapter nine, a lot of similarities, but just a little bit different. Just a little different. And you'll notice in verse thirty-three, Mark chapter nine, verse thirty-three. And he came to Capernaum, and being in the house, he asked them, What was it that ye disputed among yourselves, by the way? Now, Jesus already knew, because it says that he knew what they were thinking. But he still asked the question. But they held their peace. For, by the way, they had disputed among themselves on who should be the greatest. He sat down and called the twelve and said unto them, If any man desire to be first... The same shall be last and servant of all. Now you'll find the phrase mentioned several times. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. If you want to be first there, you need to be last here. He said, what does that mean? You serve now. You humble yourself now and you serve, not to be served, to minister, but not to be ministered to. In other words, you're here to reach as many as a servant and you serve as many people as you possibly can. So you'll be last now because you're going to put others first. But when you get to heaven, God's going to put you first. I mean, that's what he's talking about. Now, go back there to the book of Matthew chapter 18. Because here we are, we're going to take a whole week and go up into... Georgia camp, and we're going to serve because we know that that's what God wants us to do. And so we have got to realize that there's a a few things to to look at. And I wrote down a couple little items. Don't offend God by rejecting Christ because that's one of the most offensive things anybody can ever do is because he went to the cross, he died, paid for your sins, came back from the dead, and offers you eternal life, and then for you to reject it. That's offensive. And so there's a price to pay for people who offend. So the Bible talks about you and I who have the gospel, we're supposed to take the gospel to somebody, and if we don't do it, then we offend God. We're offending God by not caring enough about that precious message to get it to somebody else. And then those people who don't receive us are rejecting the one that they were supposed to. Because some people won't know. They won't hear. And this whole thing is tied about God's not willing that any should perish. Not even one person. I have a picture that I'm going to show you on Sunday night. And uh, it will break your heart. I mean literally it will break your heart. I wish I had it tonight. I use it but I got to pace things. But now notice, I want you to take your Bible. Let's look in Numbers chapter 6. Numbers chapter 6. Hold your place where you are. Numbers chapter 6. I usually have times I have read this even at funerals. And I've read it at, um, at weddings. Especially when I have joined two people together in holy deadlock, wedlock. And so I will say this is something that's really good for you. And how you should treat one another. But as you read these verses, look at it not only as, you know, about the Lord, but you doing this for someone else. See in verse 23 Speak unto Aaron and unto his son, saying, On this wise ye shall bless the children of Israel. Saying to them, Now, you and I, we want to be a blessing. We want to be a blessing to those kids, those teenagers that are coming to camp. And we also want to have a ministry with the college kids that are coming, to the counselors. We want to have a ministry to all the workers, to the staff, all those people. They're just as important as those kids, even though they're doing some of the serving. But they also need encouragement and the blessings of serving the Lord. Now, get what he says here. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. They shall put my name upon the children of Israel and I will bless them. Now you and I, because we know this, when we say the Lord bless thee, well, people that don't know the Lord needs to know the Lord. And we talk about bless thee, you know, God blesses obedience. So we want to teach them not only how to go to heaven, but we want to teach them how to serve the Lord, how to please the Lord. Because I want God to bless them. I've wanted God to bless my children. I want God to bless my grandkids. But because I want that, i got to try to do whatever I can to get them to be blessed by the Lord. But anyway, he makes a statement, the Lord make his face shine upon thee. That's what we're supposed to do to the children. Because we're doing it in his stead. We're doing it for the Lord. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee. You'd be surprised at the attitude that parents have by the way they serve the Lord and whether they're always down and complaining and whining and moaning and groaning. The impact that takes upon the children. So if you learn this, then you look at it as though this is how I'm supposed to treat God's children because he says, as you have received them, receive them, he says, like you did me. You're receiving me. In other words, treat the children whom God loves so much as though they were the Lord. How would you treat them then? If the other person that we work with all the time, see I have to look at Peter over here as though he's the Lord. i look at Jesse, he's the Lord. i look at y'all, y'all are the Lord. Now how would I treat you, differently than I would treat the Lord. If I look at you, you are God's child. And you're special and precious in God's eyes. So I need to know and keep in my mind, how should I treat you? Because the way I treat you is the way I'm treating Christ. And that's why he even says in First Corinthians, he says, even when you sin against another, he says, you sin so against Christ. In chapter 6 of First Corinthians. Go back there to the book of Matthew. Back to Matthew. While we're right there in Matthew, look in chapter 20. It's only a couple pages over. Matthew chapter 20. And look in verse 20. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 20. Where it says in verse 20, Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshipping him and desiring a certain thing of him. He said unto her, What wilt thou? She saith unto him, grant that these my two sons may sit, one on the right hand and the other one on the left, in thy kingdom. Now, this is what really started the whole thing rolling, was mama. Mama getting to the picture. Because mama said, these are my two boys. You know, they're special. You know, they're better than all those other boys. But Jesus answered and says, Ye know not what you asked. Because she wanted one to sit on one hand and one to sit on the other hand. (laughs) are you able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized? And they said, we are able. And what did they do when Christ was crucified? Not all they did was run and hide. And he said to them, ye shall drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. In other words, you're going to get it. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give. But it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my father. And when the ten heard it, uh uh-oh, they were moved with indignation against the two brothers. So here you got ten against two. Now how did it start, Mama? But Jesus called them unto him and says, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and that they which are great exercise authority upon them. See, some people want positions of power just so they can be somebody great. It's better to do the work without the title than to have the title and not do the work. And so if you want to be great, according to the Lord, you have to be a servant. It's not trying to find out how many people can I get to worship me. No, how many people can you serve? So you want to reach as many people, serve as many people. And that's why some of God's people that don't want to get involved in a ministry, they're robbing themselves. They're robbing themselves. Because see, God wants you to humble yourself and serve, meet the needs of other people, to be a blessing to other people. And some people just want to bless me, bless me, make me happy, make me happy. Happy, happy being. The whole world revolves around me. And they don't get it. And because they don't get involved and don't serve, it's costing them. Because it's going to cost them positions later on. It costs them blessings and rewards when they get to heaven and to be able to be used now, the peace, the love, the joy that has because you're fulfilling the will of God for your life. Man, I don't see how in the world you can miss on this. This is, this is great stuff. Look at verse 26. But it shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your what? Your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So you see, serving the Lord is humbling yourself and being last. In other words, trying to help others succeed. Your whole job, see, my biggest job is I want Peter Amato to succeed, I want Jesse to succeed. I want this guy sitting down here Warren to succeed. I want every person to succeed. I want the women to succeed. I want the kids to come to ranch. I want them to succeed. Because, see, that's what our job is, is try to help them be successful in their Christian life. It's not using people to get to the top. It's not walking on people's back. It's not misusing people. It's humbling yourself. Try to figure out how can I help those people serve God in a greater way. So that means you've got to watch your own personal testimony. You have to watch how you talk to people, how you treat people. Otherwise, you can just treat them like dirt. Because in your mind, it don't matter. Because you're over them. And I'm superior. Now, that's not the way to think. Now, people can accuse you of it. I've been accused of everything under the sun, I think. But now notice, when he says here in verse 5, And whoso shall receive one such little one in my name receiveth me. So we're supposed to take the gospel to every little child. And whenever they receive the message that you have brought, it's like you brought them to the Lord. And he says, you're getting people to receive the Lord. That's what this whole thing's about. It's all about so and it's always has been. Now notice what he says. And he gets into some things about being uh, thrown into the sea and things like that that uh, offends you. And everybody gets offended by something. But woe when you offend two things. And that is... Those that are saved and those that are lost. You don't want to offend either one because it's so easy to offend people. Now, to be great, you serve them. Let me just jump down here to verse 10 where it says, Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. Now, whether or not it's talking about, real little bitty children, or people who have become as little children in their faith, and a trusted Christ as Savior. And in God's eyes, they're little ones. So regardless of which way you want to go, you'll find out that there is a, a point of which we're supposed to win people and train people. You see, it is a sin not to reach children or to train them. So we become offensive when we don't try to reach them. And then we are offensive because we don't try to train them. So it's like one thing to win people to Christ. It's one thing to get them to trust the Lord. But it's another thing, there's so much they don't know. And if we don't tell them, who's going to tell them? That's the purpose of camp. So we can get them separated, get them isolated, and plant as much seeds as we can. And we'd like for them to learn as much scripture as they possibly can. Because after the whole thing is over with, All the sports activities, all the notes and the jokes and the quotes, all that. has gone. It's the Word of God that's the power. So you want to plant seeds in their mind. And it may not grow right now. It may grow later. What was interesting, I had this man and woman up there in Grace Conference. They walked up to me and says, "Um, can we take a picture with you? I says, can I ask who you are? He says, well, we... um, We were driving through Michigan late at night. It was dark, trees on both sides, lonely road. And we turned on the radio and we heard you on the radio. And it brought such comfort to them, such peace to them. Listening to my sermon, I'm not on in Michigan. Unless somebody else is putting me on in Michigan. I was at Colorado, and I was out there with uh, Jack and, uh, not Jack, but Earlene and some of the kids. And one of them told me, says, I was going through this one state, and he says, I heard you on the radio. It was another state, and I'm not on in that. All I know is I'm on in Florida, and I'm on in Colorado. But there's people in other states that are listening to our radio broadcast. I don't know how. All I know is that they're doing it. So uh, I just say praise the Lord. And the guy that's out there in Colorado He was so thrilled that when he went up there and he heard those people talk about their listening to the radio broadcast because he's the one that's funding it. And he said, man, it is worth it. Boy, it is worth it. it." And he was thrilled to death. And I couldn't believe he has a a ministry or a, a little job, a thing he created, and he was working it. And then he would go out. He's 67 years old, and he works Mowing lawns and taking care of lawns does yard work so that he can make money so he can keep us on the radio. And that's what that guy's doing. And if he didn't do that, we wouldn't be on in Colorado. And there's an awful lot of people that would not be hearing the gospel because we wouldn't be able to support it. So am I thankful? Yes. Somebody is going to be richly blessed when they get to heaven because of some sacrifice that they've made in order to get the gospel done. Look what he says down here in verse 10 again. He says, take heed that you despise not one of these little ones, whether they're saved or need to be saved. Don't offend, because doesn't somewhere in the Bible it says, Paul made the statement, I am a debtor both to the Jews and to the Gentiles, the Greeks and the barbarians. In other words, he owes them something. If I'm a debtor, it means I'm in debt. I owe somebody something. So he owes the gospel. Because that's why he says in verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And that's what he owes. He wants to pay his debt. It's offensive to the person that we owe. And we don't pay it. So God allows us to be able to go through the world and plant seeds. And try to win as many as we possibly can. So it's offensive. Now he says in verse 11, for the son of man is to come to save that which was lost. How think you if a man... Have a hundred sheep, one of them be gone astray? Doth he not lead the ninety and nine and goeth into the mountains and seeketh that which is gone astray? Now, the part that I like about this, and I don't think the Calvinists really get it, well, they think God just chose a few out of many. I believe God was concerned not with the ninety nine, but the whole hundred. He wanted every last one of them.